0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
1: To answer your question, what I'm trying to do is be righteous. And when I say righteous, I don't mean God, you know, God righteous. I mean just when I wake up. I know I was honest to myself, you know what I mean?
0: Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, today, Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States of America. Be honest. Did you cry again? (laughs) Did you
1: cry? (laughs) Uh, No, I had the glorious opportunity of having like not a single real emotion. (laughs) I love being, I think I said this before, I love being back to apathy, you know? It's like, it never did I think that, like, a status quo establishment politician would bring me, like, anything close to pleasure. It's had, it. <laughs> <laughs> But I did see Lady Gaga, you know. Oh, that's what a What a little, what a, what a s- signal. Lady Gaga and, uh, and J-Lo performing. So they're already in their performative mode.
0: <laughs> yeah. The QAnon people really thought, like, this was going to be the time that <laughs> all those people would just be rounded up. You know, like there'd be yeah. mass arrests of Biden and Harris, but also of like like John Roberts and...
1: Right, like what went wrong?
0: Right, and it's interesting, like there's a couple of articles about how they're kind of dealing with this. Like, how do they reconcile their beliefs? I'm sure they'll find a way. Oh, they'll but... find a
1: way. I mean, famously, um, when uh, Leon Festinger wrote the book on cognitive dissonance, he used the example of... of I used a number of examples, but one of them I think was William Miller here in the mid 1800s, who in upstate New York preached that Jesus was coming in like 1833 or 1844, and uh, everybody sold their possessions and got on the rooftops with robes, and nothing happened. And out of that came Seventh Day Adventism, which is the religion (laughs) that I grew up in. So uh, you know they out of like nothing happening. That's what yeah out of like, and they even call it the Great Disappointment. Right, and right. and then they just went back and said, "Oh, like we did the numerology wrong. Like we we misinterpreted these right. like these super esoteric uh, prophecies and numbers <laughs> from the Book of Daniel." And then when they re- then they're like, "Oh no, we, we got it, we got it, we figured it out." Like, <laughs> so of course they're gonna find something, you know? Yeah, There's, yeah. Just, there's just no hope in it for humanity when it comes to to changing their minds about shit. It's about- sad. Yeah, Unless, because what's the
0: alternative? It's like you go back to your life where everything's meaningless and bullshit, and you're struggling, and and you're isolated, <laughs> yeah. and all your family like hates you now, and
1: uh, yeah, like who would say, um, "Fuck, man, I was wrong for like three years about all of this." <laughs> like, I mean, like, there, there were
0: like a few on the message boards, like I'm a laughingstock right now. Like, wait, we you were,
1: were on the queue and, and on message
0: I <laughs> No. What do you mean? Who said that? <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. You were on it. <laughs> What are you talking about? I hope you're using our <laughs> VPN. <laughs> NordVPN. VPN. When you go to the QAnon. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I mean, no, you could I was say, just re- reading you could articles. You something
1: that, uh, right before we started <laughs> recording, something that scared me a little bit, which is, we were talking about our episode on conspiracy theories, and you said something about how you've been reading more <laughs> into them. So I don't know what to believe.
0: Yes, and I think... There's a lot of truth to what's going on, and actually, for the last five or six episodes, there are coded messages in (laughs) all of those episodes.
1: You're blinking, except for that, you know, this is an audio-only podcast, so like everybody... (laughs) <laughs> everybody's missed out on your blinking
0: a lot of Have the people like- complain about my mic you know like i sometimes <laughs> go
1: for, yeah <laughs> uh
0: like far away from my mic and then i'm right up to it and so there's, that's there's a little, pattern to that there's shit, a though. pattern to, absolutely look for it listener you'll <laughs> you'll find what you're looking for
1: uh, <laughs> i thought you were like pausing uh frames of my video to look for scales to see if i'm one of the people. <laughs> i think
0: I already know that you are, so I I don't need to do that.
1: I would love to be a lizard people.
0: A lizard person? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or would you be multiple
1: lizard people? I I am multitudes. (laughs) (laughs) You're like a Uh, kid.
0: though. He thinks he's people. He thinks he's (laughs) lizard people. I saw today... In the New York Times, I was looking. I didn't have time to watch the inauguration because I'm scrambling to prepare for classes. Um, but on the New York Times, I, so this was the on the front page, this was a headline. Biden has a Peloton bike. That raises issues at the White House. So, like, that's the kind of headline now that you're going to get to uh, hear. What are we going to do about Biden's Peloton bike?
1: Yeah, it was such a weirdly quick uh, adjustment back to, like, this is the mundane, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, Obama's tan suit, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, we're just, let's just act like the last four years didn't happen. Like,
0: <laughs> There's a great picture of Bernie and, and his mittens just kind of sitting there looking like, I, I think Paul <laughs> tweeted it out, like he's waiting for his wife in some department store. <laughs> <laughs> just... Oh, it's
1: bad, Oh, poor Bernie. Poor oh, Bernie God, guy. he should
0: be there. He should have been sworn in today.
1: Well, you know, unlike you, I actually am opposed to communism. So,
0: you know. <laughs> definitely unlike sure. me. So, what are we talking about today? In the second segment, we're talking about William James and his chapter on habit from the principles of psychology, which I'd like to say I said I was going to say I wish I had read as a young person. But I did read it as a <laughs> first, for the uh, first time. And so, yeah, all, like, I don't have time. any excuse. But it <laughs> it is, I don't think I fully understood its importance. You may have to be an older person to recognize its its wisdom, but yeah. by that time, it's too late.
1: Yeah. I read it in graduate school as part of a class. So, like, I, you know, reading for a class is a way of reading that I don't usually do. So, yeah. I, I really liked it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah.
0: Um, first, though, there is a new breakthrough in neuroscience.
1: That breakthrough we talk in science. About. A breakthrough in science.
0: Science, just generally, uh, yeah. that was done by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania um,
1: and the Ohio State.
0: University. And the Ohio, the Ohio State <clears throat> University. Ohio. Um, and this is—I've lost the title.
1: It's political humor sharing, and remembering, insights from neuroimaging.
0: Yes. So what are the
1: insights from
0: neuroimaging? You're the neuroscientist.
1: (laughs) Well, the brain is involved. Um, Very complicated ways. No, they they wanted to find out whether humorous news stories compared to non-humorous news stories, so like the same exact news story told in a humorous way or not, would one, be remembered better, Two, be more likely to be shared. And three is the neuroimaging part, which is um, trying to find out whether, I I guess their goal was to figure out what was driving the increased memory and sharing. And uh, what they argue is that the part of the brain that's involved in uh, thinking about other people's mental states is uh, activated during humorous clips more than during non-humorous clips. And that... that is somehow indicating uh people's desire to share them like it makes it
0: socially relevant in some way Uh, i guess it's
1: really hard because this is all correlational right but i but i guess the story they want to tell is oh it was it was a funny story my brain then starts thinking about other people finding it funny which then leads me to want to share it but it could very easily be it's funny um I know Tamler would like this. And since I'm thinking what Tamler would like, then that's the part of my brain that gets activated. So I can't really say anything. Or it could ob- be
0: that that's total bullshit, <laughs> that <laughs> that part of the brain gets activated when, Where, right? I mean, like, uh, like uh, the- in, in that way. Like, yeah. that's really something that it's tracking. These
1: are these are huge, huge areas of the brain that are involved right. in all kinds of cognition. And, you know, and so they... they uh, these regions include the dorsal middle and ventral medial prefrontal cortex, which like is just almost everything that's <laughs> is, like right. about social cognition. so so who knows like what it's really finding but above and beyond I mean this is something we've said so many times but like really what's in- interesting is if people want to share it right like that's and if they guess, remember it and if they remember it but their measure I don't know if you saw this but their measure of whether people shared it, their so-called behavioral measure is just a seven-point scale that says, how likely would you be to share this story?
0: Oh, so it's not even like they, yeah.
1: Right. No, and, and what's really annoying to me is that from then on, even though they say, well, like, these are just intentions to share, um, and then they say, like, but intentions to share have been, in other studies, correlated with actual <laughs> right. sharing.
0: The Ponzi scheme. <laughs>
1: yeah, for the rest. Of, <laughs> um, but uh, for the rest of the article, they refer to it as actual sharing. Um, and that's just not like, I, it's it's super annoying, but I guess people, so this is the part that, that at least I give them credit for. They actually got two actors to read news stories, um, that were either written, they got actual comedy writers, they say, um, and they had 128 clips, half 64 featured one actor, 64 featured another actor. Each of them read 32 humorous and 32 non-humorous versions of the stories. And, and they had everybody listen to these, um, or watch these in one study, just like out in the, in the lab and another one while they were in an fMRI. But like, here's the thing. Don't we already know, like, can't we just look at Facebook and see what stories are shared? (laughs) Isn't that the ultimate like metric of what's shared? Like what's actually shared? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. So,
0: I mean... Right, so there's so many things, right? So there's like that there's that there's you know, like I guess they're also doing a behavioral test to see whether people actually remember the content yeah. of the story
1: and people yeah true that people do remember the humor stuff more right but, uh, yeah, and but I have stuff to say about that afterwards yeah
0: but then again, it's like so both the things sharing likelihood to share and then the memory thing, those are behavioral measures. the fMRI stuff is, is either supposed to find the mechanism, but that's, but it sounds like that's pure speculation or just confirm that this is actually what's happening. Um, and I think that's like another, that's, that's a big issue with why neuroscience is involved with this at all. Just what, what does this have to do with neuroscience? And I saw like, this was originally shared on our Reddit um, our subreddit, but it came from a different Reddit. <laughs> and somebody had a great line about this. They said, It's like going into a cloud with a microscope to prove it's raining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and that's right. like
0: i think a really good analogy for what a lot of these things are doing it's like we have the evidence right here it's like you said i mean uh, with the behavioral measures or like even more directly just with how like the articles are shared like what's the likelihood of a certain kind of article to be shared you have all that data and then you keep going to like smaller and smaller microscopic levels to try to demonstrate it or prove that it's real or provide something more concrete and that's where the that's so misguided and so common.
1: Yeah. Like, okay. Suppose that there is an area of the brain that does and only does reasoning about other people's mental states. Like suppose that we had somehow localized that. Um, and then suppose that we could go in with like transcranial magnetic stimulation and turn off that region. We would show, I guess, that people would not have the intention to share the news stories. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like what what that adds, I am just not sure. <laughs> like I, and that would be the ideal situation in which you would study this. Uh, so so I mean, there's just there's just reverse inference all the way around. This is the kind of, you know the, this is a, these are professors of communication, so I don't know if they've gotten the memo about reverse inference, not you know, but I, I hope we're moving on. You hope we're moving on from this kind of reverse but you, inference, but, but why you know. do you think
0: they involved fMRI? Like from a sociological level, why involve fMRI in a in a in a study where it just seems utterly irrelevant, or perhaps even just kind of yeah. a, a, a distortion or a distraction?
1: You know, I obviously can't speak for these authors, but I will uh, like to maybe answer your question. Uh, I've never. D- collaborated with on an fMRI study, but here's the closest I've come and here's why. So it'll be like, I'll be talking to a colleague about an idea I have, say about like, um, disgust and moral judgment. And they also happen to do social neuroscience. And so they say, oh, you know, it'd be interesting. We could toss people into an fMRI and like, see this or this. And then like me 10 years ago perks up and says, oh, like, cool. Like that would be that would, like, give us brain data. Right. right? And, and so, so the temptation for me was never, now I'll get to find out something that I didn't know before. But again, like, maybe my neuroscience colleague might consider it a, a real, like, be- behavioral way to look at something in the brain that they hadn't looked at before. Maybe, you know, may- and they could learn something about the brain that way. Um, So they're not trying
0: to, like, add information about the phenomenon. They're just looking to connect something to their neuroscience research or something like that.
1: If – this is going to be real contentious – if they're good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, like, you know, some of my best friends did shit like this for 10 years, you know. and uh, (laughs) I mean – I we yeah. I, I think we were
0: interested in the Josh Green stuff like I know I was you know that the and yeah. now if that if if that came out like oh the areas of the brain are associated with emotion is are what makes you be a deontologist yeah. it, I I would think it was ridiculous but at the time there is something kind of so there is like a pull to this stuff but it also feels like that was when it was newer and now yeah. it's 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 not anymore. And people have been pointing this out for for a right. long time. And it still seems like it's rewarded to add this stuff, maybe for grants, maybe just for public interest, maybe. I mean, you see people all the time just say, like, this is not just, like, it's not just, like, a habit. This is actually, like, built into your brain.
1: Yeah. You know, that's, it's,
0: it's like, that's, that makes it real if it's built into your brain, you know. it's It's not just some fleeting thing. This is, like, a part of you.
1: It's... It's so funny because when we get to the William James part, and he, he talks about the brain a little bit in yeah. a way that like seems more sober than like <laughs> the way we've talked about the brain for the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, it's like he just accepted, just like like yeah, like brains do this shit. So right. like, it's good to learn about brains. Like nobody's yeah. saying that we shouldn't, but but here it's like it's it's unclear. Now it it's might add adding value.
0: information about the phenomenon.
1: No, it might add value when, like, brain scientists are looking across all all studies to see, well, I want to know what the medial prefrontal cortex does, and so then they look across all studies to see what people found, and maybe this will be, you know, like, one of those studies that they can add to the pile, but but that's certainly not the goal of this this paper. The other thing I wanted to say is, like, take neuroscience aside, now— I'm always one to say, even if it's an obvious idea, we should test it, but that people would be more likely to remember humorous things than non-humorous things seems to border so much on the trivial that, uh, or at least on something that we know well already. Like we know we've known for a long time that emotional things are more likely to be remembered than non-emotional things. Like, did you, was that surprising at all to you? No, not at all.
0: But uh, I'm I'm amazed, almost stunned to hear you say this because uh, this is something you usually resist. But yeah, no, of course not. Like I mean, for the for all of like the Obama years, everyone was talking about how young people got their news from John Stewart, and that's yeah. the only way that they mm-hmm. had any idea what was going on. And you know, people are constantly sharing the John Oliver stuff, and yeah. yeah. But you know,
1: at the same time, people are constantly sharing CNN, <laughs> right? Like.
0: Kind, I mean, kind of, but not to the same degree. At least for a while on Facebook, I've, I, I, there were those. There was a time where those shows really were, I don't know, at their peak. And yeah. then, and I was on Facebook more, but the, you'd constantly get people sharing John Oliver or or John Stewart. Mm, yeah. Um, now so, I think people are a little rightly annoyed by some of these shows. I don't think John uh, Donald Trump was good for them.
1: But you know, there are actually there is. Um, a lot of good work on the role of emotion and memory, like a ton, a ton of good work stuff that is even about the brain. That is not fMRI work uh, like that. That is actually experimental. Like um, I'm sure I've mentioned this, but one of my favorite favorite studies is you give people a list of words to learn after they learn that list of words, you have them dunk their arm in a ice bucket and uh, that successfully gets their emotions going. Um, or not, or they don't dunk their their uh, arm in an ice bucket. And people who dunk their arm in an ice bucket are, be- are more likely to remember the, that list of words. And it turns out that that is mediated by amygdala activation. So, like, emotions are kicking in, helping that memory set in. Um, and there, you know, when you do it in an experimental way and use MRI just as, like, a measure, not as the main... Uh, what do you main, mean as a measure? As a measure so, of emotional... So the, so, yeah, here they used the manipulation of emotion of, like, the cold presser test. So that the, the manipulation experimentally, people randomly assigned to get that. That was the heart of the methodology. And then they could measure memory, right? So they could see whether or not that had an effect on memory. And then they measured amygdala activation just as another way to understand the emotional arousal, right? So, yeah, it. so there it's, it's adding something... Um, it's not the central measure of emotion. Like there's a manipulation, and it's not the central dependent variable. It's not the study can stand alone without the fMRI part.
0: Because you know that when you stick your arm in, yeah. uh, in ice water, your emotions are aroused.
1: Yeah. And, and doing it afterwards kind of, you know, it's like it's, it's a very clever. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's a cool yeah. study. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily something you would predict. <laughs> right. the, unlike this
1: yeah exactly exactly.
0: but uh, I guess it is I mean I, it seems like you could criticize what you're describing as going into a cloud with a microscope to prove that it's raining you know their emotions are activated so what is that adding to show amygdala activation,
1: there I think it was actually adding like which which part of the brain is most implicated in consolidating those memories or like on encoding those memories. So so there I think they weren't just using amygdala as a measure of emotion, but rather they were as neuroscientists interested in which which part of the brain is actually getting that memory to to uh, to like oh, be stored permanently. Um, so they had like a genuine neuroscientific interest in 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 a finding that we had had for already probably 20 years that emotions uh, play a role in memory. Um, but it was just, yeah.
0: We need to have like the best defender of neuroscience and neuroscientific approaches on, yeah. and, and, yeah. um, and see if, you know, they need, they can tell us what we're missing about yeah, some of this yeah. stuff.
1: Sometimes I'll go to conferences, like social psych conferences and people will like, uh, like they'll be, they'll, who, the people who do social neuroscience will be like, "Man, you're too hard on it," or whatever. Like, you and they'll actually argue with me, but they're never right. So, like, I
0: <laughs> yeah, we need some. I mean, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be right, even the, be- the, the the best one. But <clears throat> at least the, I'm sure there's something that we're being unfair about. There's something that we're Absolutely. missing. We're not. There's no way that. Like our constant <laughs> scorn, uh, just unrelenting contempt for this research is uh, is fully on target.
1: At, at this point, though, I think what what you were alluding to is that it's just sociologically annoying. Like it's just yeah. it's just like the thing to do if you have access to a, a big magnet.
0: Right, it's the thing to do to just get people interested in do it and what you're saying, and to make it make people think that this is an actual real result that we have to take seriously.
1: Yeah. It's not some
0: bullshit social psych, you know, result. It's it's in the brain.
1: (laughs) It's funny. I used to, like, I guess there are a bunch of these sorts of things. And, like, to be honest using robots is one of those things that just makes things sound more interesting you know i've been guilty of that i remember a friend of mine who's in in engineering he does materials engineering he 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 used to tell me that like there was a period of time where all you had to do was put the prefix nano in your grant application and like it would get (laughs) so even if it was like a million nanometers as long as you use the word nano you could get funding and then, of
0: course, like once you, even if that's your original motive, you start to tell yourself that it actually is important. But still, I, I, I just want people, I, I, I used to ask this about the knowledge debate in philosophy. I would go around just asking people, like, give me a defense of this. Tell me why this isn't the most obvious pseudo problem in the history of the world. And I never got a good answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. We are perhaps ill-suited for being receptive to good answers. So, like, we really do need to find somebody who will take us to task. I used to ask something similar, like, "What? give me an fMRI study that has contributed to psychological theory. And it's not, like, people have given me decent answers, which I don't remember, but it is surprisingly hard. Like, the ratio of n- the number of fMRI studies to the, n- to the number of ones that pop out in someone's mind as a candidate for, like, having improved psychological theory is, is depressing.
0: Well, maybe if they were presented humorously You would remember them more. That's right. That's right. I remember you getting into a huge argument with a friend of the show, Eddie Namius, about this uh, in San Antonio.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. Pizza place
0: outside in San Antonio. (laughs) Uh, And it was about this very issue. I think, like, he was a little more... He wasn't even that sympathetic to some of this stuff, but he was just a little more sympathetic. (laughs) And I'm, like, talking... Sean Nichols was there, too, and we're sort of talking about something else, and all of a sudden, you guys are, like, yelling at each other.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fuck any novies. No, I I think that you disengaged because you had eaten an edible... um, (laughs) Or you were smoking on your vape or something, and you were just not amused.
0: (laughs) Well, I was just like, this is not going to end well. (laughs) Uh, You know another problem with these things and these kinds of studies, I would say this applies to at least a significant portion of just regular psychology, um, is that there's no consequences if it's if it's just completely off base or if it doesn't work. Talia Arconi, the uh, like the (laughs) informed critic, like to my just uninformed critic of psychology, was he said that you know like there's these other Areas of research in the sciences where if you get something wrong, like something's gonna fuck up, like planes will right. explode or go down, right. or yeah. But the, there's no pressure on that <laughs> in neuroscience or in some areas of <laughs> psychology. brains will stop working. Just <laughs> right, exactly.
1: <laughs> fuck, it, it wasn't the RTJ after all. It was the.
0: <laughs> so you have no real pressure, like you know, like. Studies cannot replicate, but that's still just internal to the world of what you're, of what you're doing. There's nothing external to it that will, um, you know, have any serious consequences if, if it doesn't work. I think that's definitely true of the neuroscience stuff.
1: Uh, but that must be true for most science. I think the problem is probably deeper than that, right? Like, yeah. we can easily think of all of the sciences where it matters. But, you know, if you're studying cellular membranes of, like, you know, amoeba or something.
0: I mean, where it does matter is philosophy. Like that's where, <laughs> if you have the wrong philosophy, like a country will just enter like a hundred and fifty years of you know.
1: Do you think any fascism? Philosoph- <laughs> Do you think at any- <laughs> time I would like to get yeah. a philosopher who act- who believes that um, philosophy is contributing to truth.
0: Now I actually thought that that mm-hmm. same thing that you're saying. Um, how true is this? Uh, like I think. Yarkoni gave the example of, like, engineering, like, where it's the obvious case of, like, you know, a bridge collapses or something if you're wrong. But, you know, what about these other fields, um, physics or biology? I mean, parts of biology, I suppose, could have theory. You know, certainly, like, anything involved in developing vaccines, say, or... Um,
1: yeah, I mean the minute you take any basic science and and turn it into to an applied problem, and maybe different fields have different like, you know, they're relatively harder or easier to turn into an applied problem. Um, you know, I mean, let's take nudges in in behavioral science. Like that's kind of the engineering of behavioral science. And yeah. we can really fuck those up. Um, yeah. <laughs> as I think we've shown.
0: But it also – but it always like – it never seems to totally trace back to um, – this is like ec- – economics right. is like this too. Like they – I'm sure economic ideas has, have led to disaster, uh, even beca- <laughs> you know, false economic ideas based on overly simplistic models of like human behavior and choices and agency. But it's like there's always a way to sort of spin it where they didn't actually perform according hey. to the model.
1: It's like, it is the QAnon of science, exactly. right? Like once, it exactly. turns out trickle-down economics doesn't really work. Well, we never yeah. quite meant it that way. That was right. a, based on a misunderstanding of the original text.
0: <laughs> it is, it is. Like, so, yeah, science <laughs> is a conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> you're finally seeing the light here. Yeah, I have never been more gratified. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's uh, take a break, and we'll come back and talk about a great piece of psychology by William James. Hey, Dave. You know how we sometimes do episodes about issues in physics, but we have no clue what we're talking about.
1: I I don't know what you're talking about. My my intuitions about physical reality run, run really, really deep. But yes,
0: yes. (laughs) Well, there's a podcast uh, where they actually know what they're talking about by physicists talking to physicists called Physical Attraction that we wanted to give a little plug to.
1: Yeah, Physical Attraction is a podcast about science, technology, and the future. And it's all from an actual physicist's perspective. Physical Attraction basically does a deep dive, like he does a ton of research. Um, he interviews experts and scholars. It uh, covers a huge range of topics in physics, astronomy, cosmology. So from the birth of stars to the ways the world might end, from nuclear fusion and artificial intelligence to economic inequality, climate change, and cosmology, from the hundred billion dollar venture, venture capital fund trying to accelerate the technological singularity, mm, a little
0: worried about that one.
1: I was going to say, I hope that the hundred billion dollars <laughs> is to prevent the singularity. From <laughs> interviews to uh, with uh, the UK's astronomer royal. Who I wanted to just say, Martin Rees, Martin Rees is like, he is like the Lady Gaga of astronomy. He is, you can't get bigger than him. Uh, I had a chance to meet him once. At- would he, would he uh, be flattered by that comparison? He that should party? be. <laughs> <laughs> should be. Lady Gaga would be. Um Uh, And it was a really, really wonderful interview with Martin Rees, who's, you know, who's nearing the end of his life, but who has written a ton of of broad interest books and who has had a a real role in the way that um, major governments deal with science. Uh, A lot of science podcasts like Real Science, not, not ours, are super overproduced and there's lots of like, you know, music coming in and out and everybody sounds like they're in an NPR station. This isn't like that, but in a good way. Um, Thomas actually, in some episodes, just sits there and explains things. So it's sort of a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah. So um, check out, don't let it replace your VBW listening, but compliment your VBW listening so you can then say, oh, they don't know shit. I can't believe I've I can't believe I believed them. Go to physicspodcast.com and you can see all of the episodes. He has like 200 episodes. It would be a good addition to your podcast diet. So once again, go to physicspodcast.com.
1: Yeah, or type in physical attraction wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and it'll come up.
0: And thank you to Physical Attraction for sponsoring this episode.
1: Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time in the show that we like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners, uh, all of our supporters for just your support and your interaction with us and your uh, contribution to this show. Because whether you know it or not, uh, hearing from you keeps us motivated to do what we do. So we we very much appreciate that. Um, If you do want to get a hold of us, you can email us at uh, verybadwizards at gmail.com. Ah, uh, you can always tweet to us at Very at Tamler or at Peas. Uh, if you want to join in a discussion with fellow listeners, you can go to reddit.com slash r slash Very where you'll see lively discussions and interesting thing posted. Interesting things posted. In fact, um, at Tamler, I don't know. If, do you do, do? Do you ever use Discord? Did you see? No, I don't yeah. know what
0: that is. But I saw that they people were starting that.
1: Yeah, so somebody, um, you can go to our subreddit and find the post. Somebody whose name I forget, I apologize, uh, started a Discord server. This is basically a a way to chat with other people. Um, It's video, audio, or text chat. Of people who are interested in similar things so there's now a discord server i don't know how to tell you where to go <laughs> because i'm very bad at knowing things that kids do um but you can also follow our instagram um, wayne
0: quasar posted
1: it wayne yeah wayne and wayne is my discord <laughs> so, friend now.
0: so like Wayne.
1: yeah <laughs> um <clears throat> so follow our instagram page you can rate us on apple music and you can leave a review um yeah, I saw a review that pissed me off the other day, but why <laughs> did you see that one? There
0: was also a great review that I actually wanted to read. There was
1: a really good one. Yeah, it touched me. In uh,
0: right well, maybe I'll, we'll read it next time. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was really nice. It was like a kind of a, I don't know, like a fairly in-depth.
1: Yeah, and very thoughtful.
0: A thoughtful account of how the podcast has evolved yeah. like, over the years, yeah. and um, yeah, it was really I, nice.
1: It was really nice.
0: And then there's a the guy who says, like, it's fucking too woke.
1: <laughs> you know, I was talking to, I think, Paul Bloom about, uh, he was saying that he can't believe that the shit that we've said on this podcast and that we get away with. And I told him, and I think this is right, that the angriest emails or messages we've ever gotten are from people who think we're too social justice Like yeah,
0: Absolutely. That's... I would say like <laughs> 99% of them.
1: And, we, and we've said some stuff. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've said some shit. We've said uh, a lot of shit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's like but we don't it's it's what Agnes Callard said, like we don't pile on the woke like side yeah. enough so it tracks for them as we are like right. woke and social justice because we're not doing what their other heroes like eric weinstein do which is just scan everything or like what did i see thomas chatterson williams like literally going to like yelp reviews to find (laughs) like some new like woke thing that they can complain about it was like a yelp a fucking yelp review
1: after after giving you all of the ways to uh, interact with us on social media i'm about to say social media is the fucking death of society it's just terrible It is (laughs) (laughs) awful. Anyway, so uh, rate us on Apple Music if you would like. It helps other people find our podcast. And you can always listen to us and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. And thank you for all of those things that you guys do. We really appreciate it.
0: Yes, and if you'd like to support us in more tangible ways, you can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal. You can get a t-shirt or a sweatshirt um the beautiful t-shirt and sweatshirt um and a, with a great design from cotton bureau uh, so comfortable i've been wearing my my hoodie all the time now and um and you can support us on patreon become one of our invaluable patreon supporters they give us ideas for what to talk about and they uh, give us financial support and we appreciate them so much we try to uh put out some bonus episodes every month or so dave you have four volumes of beats out there for any level of support also you get ad free episodes and um you know we're always looking into other ways to to try to express our gratitude to the people who are supporting us. So um, we really appreciate that. Oh, one other thing, um, our $5 and up listeners will get directly to them, our Brothers Karamazov five episode miniseries that we did over the summer and that you can also find and pay for on Himalaya, on the Himalaya
1: app. And if anybody has any, you know, we might do something like that again, maybe even just on Patreon. So if anybody has any idea, Uh, any ideas for us
0: yeah a book uh, a book uh, some sort of text um, interpreted broadly that you would like us to go really deep on like we did with Brothers Karamazov that was fun that was great we could only do it over the summer I think but it was
1: yeah seems like forever ago it does
0: (laughs) and also like yesterday time is a flat circle
1: that's right (laughs) all right (laughs) true
0: detective (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) You got the ref.
1: Great. So, all right. Let's move on to today's topic, which is one chapter on uh, from William James's uh, two-volume magnum opus published in 1890, The Principles of Psychology 1 and 2. I'm a one guy. What are you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a one guy, but, you know, like every so often I kind of feel myself getting a little tempted towards volume two but
1: (laughs) so uh we're covering the chapter on on habit and i think the reason that we we did was because tamler you you sent over uh somebody's just sort of short discussion of of this chapter is that right Mm -hmm. turns out that i think i think this chapter has been in in a very frankfurtian bullshit kind of way like it's also been wrapped up and sold as a book
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it was initially even a chapter. The Principles is not even where it first appeared. It was ah, I see. Because yeah, he right. says in The Principles that it appeared in some sort of popular uh, magazine of some kind.
1: Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, William James was a, uh, he's called the father of American psychology, but he was also a philosopher. I think best known for his views on pragmatism as a, as a theory of truth. He was a psychologist first and, and actually wrote The Principles of Psychology. I think it took him a decade to write these th- this uh, two volumes. Um, and, and I think the story goes that when he was done uh, he just said fuck it i'm i'm turning to philosophy from now on um i think he was he was frustrated this is too uh, this is too hard <laughs> yeah too, it is hard um in this book though along with the chapter on habit he sort of has a famous discussion about will and and free will um and uh he then wrote about the book on the varieties of religious experience um but this is a real a very sort of in-depth and very sort of physiologically, medically informed treaties on, you know, the cutting edge science of psychology of the day. William James was actually trained as an MD, but you know what? He never made us call him (laughs) doctor.
0: No, unlike Dr. Jill Biden.
1: (laughs) Right. So in this chapter on habit, I mean, it's, it's a fairly straightforward discussion of something that clearly is, was important uh, to William James, which is uh, essentially a chapter on learning how we get certain actions to be automatized, and he thought that habit was a very important aspect of uh, just the life of a human being, um, pragmatically, but also morally, which he gets into a lot of moralizing about how we ought to cultivate the right kinds of habits, almost in an Aristotelian way, I would say.
0: Yeah, very much in an Aristotelian way, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's dive into what what James said on habit. First of all, tell me what, what you thought. Like We both have said we read this like way back in the day. Um, But upon rereading, what were your thoughts?
0: Well, so uh, just generally, my thinking about habit these days, both moral habits and regular habits, is along the lines of this is the most important and underexplored topic in psychology and philosophy. Like, we don't pay attention to the centrality of habits in our lives. And I think Aristotle, when you say that this is Aristotelian, I think Aristotle knew this and based his entire ethics around the idea of developing good habits that will lead you to acquire virtuous character. And I think that, you know, you definitely can quibble with the details of his picture, but in terms of just naturalistically uh, figuring out what actually drives human beings and human behavior, like it was totally right on. And then Starting, you know, after Aristotle, Stoics were also they emphasized habit um as well. They were also very focused on character, but with the turn to in philosophy, focusing on choices and actions rather than care like a more broader picture of, of character and character development, it was lost and really not talked about and still isn't talked about in in philosophy. And I think it's just so important at every level including like just in my own life and yeah. I i do feel like once i started to recognize this this was it was like i don't know like 10 years ago or something like that and then you start to realize what how you can make the nervous system your ally instead of your enemy as as william james says and and you know, when you can do that and it's hard, it's, it, it, it improves your life. Like it improves, it's like this couple of habits, like exercising you were mentioning and uh, earlier and also meditating those habits that I developed, like improve my life probably. And like biking to work, there's another one, like when I used to have to do, go to work, uh, like twenty five percent, probably like it was just huge change in my well being. So I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it's just so important and people don't talk about it enough.
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. And it is an interesting turn um, that you point out. I don't know if we're gonna blame Kant for this, but the the focus on the will and even what you you know you refer to as action theory, where like the the key piece of the thing to be evaluated yeah. is only the will. Like, all right. the rest is noise. And the um, act, the, and, the yeah, individual the, act. The act that contains the, the intention, yeah. the conscious intention, right. the, the power there. Um, uh, yeah, it does, it, it gets ignored. And even from a psychological perspective, um, you know, like, psychologists were not immune to that, to, to all of that. And, and it wasn't until people started talking again about automaticity and you know let's not bring up the, the replication crisis but but there was a big turn in I would say the 90s to being more interested in how behaviors and thoughts become automatic. And I think there's so much insight in this chapter. I one of the things I was telling Nikki when I was reading this is it's almost depressing how much insight is already here that like yeah. <laughs> that I I would have yeah. thought, Came from a hundred years of, of research on the topic, but probably not really. Um, it
0: just came from William James, kind <laughs> of like thinking about stuff and also reading this one book. By
1: the- <laughs> <laughs> he quotes from Doctor Carpenter like at length. It's almost just like all Doctor Carpenter. I, I didn't look up the book, but but yeah. So one of the one of the things that I that James points out is just pragmatically, we we as creatures. Like, our lives are so dependent on the habits that we uh, acquire, the things that automatize all our behaviors, because, as he points out, the alternative would be to deeply think about every single thing that we did. And if that is what we had to do, we would get, as he says, one or two things done a day, you know? Right. Because... Yeah, uh, there's there's yeah. so
0: many interesting things that he says. It's also very well written in this... He's old not timey. British, but no. old-timey way. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> That where where he talks about the person who would have to spend all day putting on um, their oh, right. clothes, but then he also says, which is true, few men can tell offhand. Which so- I like the off hand is there's a dash between it like that's a very old timey <laughs> thing to just have yeah. uh, Iced
1: cream <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly it's like Mr. Bur- how Mr. Exactly. Burns talks yeah. few men can tell offhand which sock shoe or trouser leg they put on first they must first mentally rehearse the act and even that is often insufficient the act must be performed so of the questions which valve of my double door opens first which way does my door swing etc I cannot tell the answer yet my hand Never makes a mistake. There's so many things that we do, and we do with utter consistency that we couldn't, if you asked us, tell you how we did it.
1: Right? I mean, that's that's why not everybody can teach. That's why you know Magic Johnson wasn't a good coach. He was a great player, but like, you, it really <laughs> requires a different skill to unpack the the yeah. what what you're doing and how you're doing it because the process by which you acquire a habit is is very different um, from the ability to to explain h- how you do it, like it seems like frustrating to try to explain to somebody how you do something. It's just like no, 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 you just do it, just do it.
0: <laughs> and it's funny that how I think we notice if you have dogs. Um you notice how habit oriented they are it's like funny how yeah. they always want to go out the same door and they have this very specific things that they do. They go immediately to the water dish after they've come for, to a walk and and we're so attuned to that in others and right. just so blind to it in ourselves
1: <laughs> right and, and you know and because that's sort of the role that it's supposed to play right so so what uh one of the things that james uh you know, he first sets the stage by talking about the physiology. He uses this metaphor that I think you know probably many people have used of like water going through a valley. Right? Like yeah. the more it goes in that path, the more likely it is to go in that path again. And and the so grooves he, get right, the grooves, right? The grooves. And he's he's uh, he wants to build this in in a way that I was alluding to in the initial uh, in the opening segment. In a way that I think is a better use of not physiology for explaining psychology like he actually is trying to ground this in the nervous system and you know here's the, and and so he says that habit are, is something that simplifies the movements required it diminishes your fatigue it diminishes the need for conscious attention right so you can do things while you're doing other things if those yeah. those second things are habitual um
0: quoting carpenter he says the beginner at the piano not only moves his finger up and down in order to depress the key he moves his whole hand the forearm even the entire body <laughs> so it's like when you're first learning your your whole body as well as your conscious intentions is just activated and then when it becomes a habit it's like yeah. you know only what's necessary
1: do you um, know uh <laughs> you know the difference between <clears throat> that uh uh, behavioral economists and psychologists they they distinguish system one and system two. Yeah. Where s- system system one is the intuitive natural way, system two is the more effortful conscious way. I was at a conference called the Society for Judgment and Decision Making, and. This happened to be the year that Dan Ariely was the president of the society. And part of like the activities was that he bought, a, he bought out a bar <laughs> in whatever yeah. city we were in. And there were just people like on stage dancing, but they were all people who do judgment and decision making. And you looked at the dance floor and it was hilarious. And somebody who I was talking to pointed to the dance floor and said, see that, that's system two dancing, <laughs> which was <laughs> just <laughs> the most <laughs> effortful attempts at bodily movement that you can imagine. <laughs> uh,
0: I wish I could make fun of them, make fun at them, but that's how I am. <laughs> yeah. System two dancer is exactly, uh, describes my, my dancing and also why I don't like to do it.
1: <laughs> right. Well, if you slowly built it up, um, <laughs> it's you
0: know, one of the, th- the Jew, <laughs> too, the Jew won, you not know, know. know, you like won musicals. That round.
1: Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask you about was at times I found it hard to distinguish what James meant by habit versus every other kind of learning save for the most conscious, effortful actions. So like, it seems to be more an account of just learning in general, like what we know from like behaviorism, like Conditioning. Right. Um, and I use, I guess I use the word habit to be a more narrow concept. Uh, like, like, like you were saying, like build up a habit of exercise or whatever. I don't necessarily, when I say when I'm driving a stick shift, I don't call it a habit to shift from gear one to gear two
0: so i think that's right yeah i mean like even just playing the piano is not a habit exactly right right? like that's just you're practicing a skill um stick shift is an interesting one because although i wouldn't call it a habit where my daughter is learning to drive now and we only have um manual transmission and so she she's had to learn to drive on the stick shift what kind of car do
1: you have it's like a it's model
0: a, T. <laughs> no, we have like a, um, no the Mazda three and like a Subaru. Um, for, although the new model of the Subaru, it's they're vanishing. It's it's, it's, it's sad. All, I love stick ships and I haven't I had one two. for so long.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I've only had one. I've never had a car that's an automatic yeah, in my whole whack. life. It's whack. Um But the the number of them that you can buy are diminishing no. by the. But anyway, like so when she first was doing it, it's a perfect example of how you need to. Focus every bit of your energy on the clutch yeah. and on the th- and and just dr- and then not to mention just all the other things you have to learn how to drive. And now, watching as she's gotten better, uh, it all this stuff is second becomes second nature to her. Yeah. That's exactly what James is talking about. Yeah, but I agree that it is not exactly a habit.
1: Yeah, and so I think that he is simply saying I like as I understand it, and and it's a little hard to to pin him down. But I think he's saying. The class of things, of behaviors that we engage in that are not innate, like we, we don't come into the world knowing them, even yeah. though sometimes you can use the word habit for that. And, um, and the things that aren't what he calls voluntary, but, uh, but here voluntary means conscious, right? Like conscious. So the stuff that falls in between there, which is the bulk, I think, of, of all yeah. learning— um, is what he means. What he means by habit, and he's right. Like it's so fucking fascinating how you can start trying to learn something, see an expert, and think there's no way. There's no way I will ever get there. And all you have to do is keep repeating it, and you're there. Yeah. It, how? Like how the fuck does that happen?
0: Yeah. Like you yeah. do magic. Uh, yeah. All the time. Right.
1: In fact, he quotes a magician in here. He quotes Robert Houdin uh, yeah. talking about juggling because that that is. You know, late in life, maybe as you were pointing out, the older I get, the less new thing, the fewer new things that I try, the fewer new things that I try to learn. And so I started trying to learn sleight of hand and cards maybe five years ago. And it seemed to me, and I actually videotaped myself doing a particular move. I have about three years of uh, videotapes showing progression. And it's like, wow, like how it's incredible just what effort will do. And,
0: so yeah. you know i never even thought of this but you're right that the, even that i guess not exactly a habit it's just acquiring a skill yeah, right. so i think maybe the point is you there's no word for this but there is there are our habits which we acquire often not through intention although sometimes we do and then there are skills that we sort of set about doing like driving a stick shift, learning magic. Um, and it's all the same kind of thing. It's just, we call like what makes us call something a habit and something else, just an ability or something or.
1: um, Right. Right. He, at one point, I, I don't know if I can find it easily. At one point he's, he does distinguish between the kinds of things that started off as a clear intention. And the kinds of things that didn't. So we develop bad habits. Like we never, I never said like, I'm going to go to bed real late. Like I'm going to try. Right. right. And bite my nails. <laughs> yeah, I'm bite my nails. I'm start. Uh, yeah. Um, there are all kinds of habits that I don't want to talk about. Um, but those, I don't think um, psychologically, aside from the, aside from whether you want them or not. Um, I don't know that they're that different psychologically.
0: Well, just can we just do some conceptual analysis for a second? What makes mm-hmm. us call I'm always something? Friend. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I know, of course. <laughs> so. uh, easy sell for you. Um, like, what makes us call something a habit? Is it because it can't be just that we didn't intend to, because there are some habits we
1: deliberately acquire. So, no, right. what makes so, us call something a habit? So, I think in my. In my usage of the word habit, I think that I mean things that I do frequently, um, that I care about. That's I think that's the usage. So he has some interesting examples of habits in his own life that I don't think fit that definition. And um, I don't like. I remember linking it to one of mine. So so doing something. Okay. So when I went back and visited the building where I went to graduate school, um, I used to always. Pop my head into the mail room to check if I had mail because we had physical mail. Yeah. So I hadn't been there for like 10 years and I walk into that building and I automatically went to my mailbox. Yeah. Now, James wants to call that a habit in this chapter. I wouldn't call it a habit because it's not a behavior that is frequent in my life. I think that's that at least the way that we use the word now is not just learning... But, but, but per- I don't
0: think it's necessarily that you care about cuz I do that like um in, when I go into the office I will always check my mailbox and like and yeah. I haven't gotten like an interesting piece of mail you know I probably get like 6 or 7 in the whole yeah. year but I always check it yeah and I would call that a habit but I don't care about it it's just for whatever reason I started doing that and now it's just
1: No I know but he wants to call it a habit that the fact that once in 10 years I popped my head when I went back and visited Right and like, I'm like, that to right. me is, I see. You, is is no longer a habit.
0: But that, but it's not something that you don't care, that you care about, I guess is my point. Uh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, part, yeah. that was one of your um, necessary conditions.
1: You're right. I would have cared about it in the beginning, right? It was a yeah. behavior that I would intentionally uh, uh, do in order, but it doesn't, but but a bad habit, it does not. Yeah.
0: Biting your nails is not something right. Like right, you, right, you right. care about it who knows it might we might be talking about family resemblance here and maybe it's a fool's errand to try to come up with necessary and sufficient conditions yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but i think that we should take him as talking about a much broader thing which is yeah. the autom- automatization of any uh, I agree. L- anything learned and i think that's the deeply important thing that he ends with this moralistic thing which is like look you can pick up habits without trying so
0: before we get there i want to talk about that um i just want to just summarize what we've been talking about and what so he says here's the first thing about habit is that um and you read this that it simplifies the movements required to achieve a given result makes them more accurate and diminishes fatigue the second one is that it diminishes the conscious attention with which our acts are are performed. He talks about like people fencing or whatever um, and like you can just see the gleam in the man's eye and you know like right. <laughs> where to parry or something like that. Right. But then he also says this is also true for the not just the right things, the wrong things. Who is there? Who is there that has never wound up his watch on taking off his <laughs> waistcoat in the daytime or taking right. his latchkey out on arriving on the doorstep <coughs> door dash step of a friend very absent-minded persons going to their bedroom to dress for dinner have been known to take off one garment after another and finally to get into bed merely because of that habitual issue of the first few moments when performed at the later hour i love how like it very much places him in in class and time. This yeah. whole thing. <laughs> Amongst us. <never>. Amongst us. <laughs> and then he says in this like amazing passage, habit is thus the f- enormous flywheel of society, <laughs> its most precious conservative agent. It alone is what keeps us within all bounds of ordinance and saves the children of fortune from the en- envious uprisings of the poor. Uh, which is a great habit yeah. is what like saves like the rich people from a, a, a real revolution. Yeah. It alone prevents the hardest and most repulsive walks of life from being deserted by. Those brought up to tread therein. It keeps the fisherman and the deckhand at sea through the winter. It holds the miner in his darkness and nails the countryman to his log cabin and his lonely farm through all the months of snow. It protects us from invasion by the natives of the desert and the frozen zone. I'm not sure what that sounds very like science fiction all of a sudden. Know, like the, Who are these the Hunger games?
1: Like, <laughs> the
0: frozen zone. What is that? It dooms us to fight. Out the battle of life upon the lines of our nurture of our early choice and to make the best of a pursuit that disagrees like a job or whatever that disagrees because there is no other for which we are fitted and it is too late to begin again it keeps different social strata from mixing Already at the age of 25, you see the professional mannerisms setting in the young commercial traveler, the young doctor, the young minister, the young academic, the young philosopher at the APA. (laughs) You see the little lines of cleavage running through their character, the tricks of thought, the prejudices, the ways of the shop in a word. Uh, It's just like a very interesting little passage that comes kind of in the middle before he turns like explicitly to ethics. Just like this is the whole reason the world is the way it is and is resistant to change, you know, is because if they could just arise or transcend these habits, there would be like a massive like class revolution and like no deckhands at sea in the winter and, you know.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't sound like he's trying to be like a systems justifying kind of person. Like it sounds like he thinks that this is a good thing, <laughs> like the flywheel of society is, is. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know. Like I think he's like I read it as more sort of
1: straight up ambivalent or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. Descriptive and also like mm. you know this is a we're all hanging by a thread here, and if they if they did revolt, they would be right. Yeah, maybe. Today's episode is brought to you once again by GiveWell. For over 10 years, GiveWell.org has helped donors find the charities and projects that save and improve lives the most per dollar. They dedicate over 20,000 hours a year doing research and then handpick a few of the highest impact evidence-backed charities, whether it's medicine or mosquito nets to prevent malaria vaccinations deworming or just straight up cash transfers for extreme poverty givewell finds the most effective philanthropies to do the most good and now GiveWell wants to say thank you, and I want to say thank you, too. In, in 2020, podcast listeners like you gave over $1.6 million to the cost-effective charities that GiveWell recommends. And David and I are extremely proud to report that our listeners have contributed over $182,000 in immediate and recurring donations to GiveWell. That's amazing. Just a few weeks ago I donated once again to GiveWell and I selected GiveDirectly, which is a program that gives unconditional cash transfers to poor households in low-income countries and to people affected by humanitarian crises. No strings, no bureaucracy, just direct cash transfers to the people who Need it the most. This is just one of the many extremely effective charities that GiveWell has researched. And in 2021, it's no longer the holiday season, but GiveWell is encouraging you to keep the giving spirit alive. Any listener who starts a monthly donation by the end of February will have their, their first month's donation matched up to $250. Every month, you'll work towards saving lives, preventing deadly disease or helping those in extreme poverty. Whether you're new to GiveWell or already a donor, you don't have to be a new donor here. Any listener who starts a new monthly donation by the end of February will have their first month matched up to $250. So go to givewell.org/verybadwizards and select podcast and very bad wizards at checkout. Once again, go to givewell.org/verybadwizards and select podcast and very bad wizards at checkout. Thank you to Givewell for all the great work they do and thank you our listeners for supporting them as much as you have. For
1: this episode of Very Bad Wizards is also brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Look, there are times when we all need help, each and every one of us, and there are times where it seems really difficult to get help especially times like the ones we're in right now. Of course, there are crisis lines that specialize in dealing with emergencies, but what if you just want or need to speak to a professional about something that's going on in your life currently? You have to go about finding a good therapist, making sure maybe through word of mouth that they're reputable, um, ensuring they have openings for new patients and that they take your insurance, that you can make an appointment soon. These are all hassles that BetterHelp are there to get around. BetterHelp can help connect you with a therapist, a licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment in under 24 hours you'll be having an online chat video chat telephone call or even text messaging if you don't like that therapist you can always switch anything you share is confidential it's convenient it's affordable and financial aid is available if you don't believe me check out the testimonials posted daily on their site so start living a happier life today as a listener of Very Bad Wizards, you'll get 10% off of your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash VBW. Join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash VBW for 10% off of your first month. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Yeah. And then he says, you know... Uh, A couple paragraphs later, what you alluded to, the great thing then in all education is to make our nervous system our ally instead of our enemy. It is to fund and capitalize our acquisitions and live at ease upon the interest of the fund. And this is the the insight that I think was completely lost by the time he was writing. Well, not completely lost because Dr. Carpenter clearly (laughs) clearly believed it. Um, But that with, usually I think, even now, habits and automatic behavior are looked down upon. They are thought, uh, you know, these are the things that, um, we fight against. All, right. right. And, um, and what he's saying is no, like this, these are the very things that we should embrace because, um, these are the only things that allow us to do the complex actions that we do. So when he describes earlier in this sort of physiological way, he says, what a habit does is when you initiate action, a, it automatically gets action, B, C, D and E going." Yeah. and and so on so to go back to the analogy of driving the stick shift your only the only intention that you need is to sit in the car and start going and that intention initiates your you know arm and wrist to move in this direction your left foot to press the clutch and all that and um so he he's acknowledging the power that this has in being the one thing that enables us to to perform these complex actions so he says why not lean in why not do whatever it is that we can to cultivate the right habits because then life will be that much better and easier uh yeah i love
0: the the metaphor it is to fund and capitalize our acquisitions and live at ease upon the interest of the fund and that's such a good metaphor for developing a good habit it's like not only are you doing the thing that you want to do say like when i was Got the habit of biking to work, and that's good for me. Like, uh, it's good health wise, it's good exercise. But then it becomes just also like the thing I want to do. Whereas before, I had to, like, the willpower was to make myself bike to work. Now the willpower is to make myself not bike to work. <laughs> right. And 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 like and it's hard to get convince myself to do that. That's like living off the interest is when this is something that you just want to do. It requires no effort at all anymore. It's like the easiest thing in the world. Um, that's, that's such a great metaphor. You are, you develop these good habits and then you just can like kick back in your beach chair <laughs> that's right. and, that's uh, right. and everything is relaxing and easy. Right. But of course that's the problem is a developing them and B also developing the ones that aren't good for you.
1: Right. Um, so I remember reading this and, and, you know, I became—I don't—I became interested in studying character right later than this, but now that I read this, it must have had a, a pretty deep effect on on my thinking because I didn't—I—I hadn't—I don't think—read too much about the moral value of habit, except for in folksy wisdom. Right. You know? Exactly. That's what it sounds like. Like <laughs> right. Benjamin
0: Franklin's exactly, like Exactly.
1: Like poor, poor Richard's Almanac. Like, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I think. He gets right I don't know if he explicitly says it is that <clears throat> effortful action is not just hard because it's effortful but it kind of sucks like it's right. like doing things through effort is just not that pleasurable I think any anytime you try to learn anything you realize that <laughs> like was,
0: you yeah
1: should, especially at first
0: yeah like especially when you're not good at it and it, it's just something like you know you see like how many of these I don't know, projects or skills We'll be like, ooh, that sounds good. And then you start getting into it. You realize, oh, wait, this is too hard.
1: And yeah. then
0: you stop. But <laughs> if the ones that you continue are like, they just get easier and easier. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Let's definitely talk about it. But let's go through his maxims okay. of how to acquire a new habit. Okay, but good. so he says, he gives these maxims, which I think are absolutely psychologically plausible, at least from my own experience, um, he says the first is that in the acquisition of a new habit or the leaving off of an old one we must take care to launch ourselves with as strong and decided an initiative as possible accumulate all possible circumstances which shall reinforce the right motives put yourself assiduously in conditions that encourage the new way make engagements incompatible with the old take a public pledge if the case allows in short envelop your resolution with every aid you know so he's really I mean he's Talking about commitment devices, there right? totally. Like, I mean, he's was
1: yeah. talking about stuff that that you know I didn't learn about until like reading, you know, Robert Frank, yeah. Robert Frank, and and uh, to, like Thomas Schelling and like those right. people, yeah.
0: Um, but so he's saying like get a new habit because it's so hard at first because like what we were talking about how hard it is at first you need to go in full force and do every external motivation thing that you can to make yourself continue it or else you're fucked this is why I think New Year's resolutions try to play this role at least (laughs) but again like you have to tell other people that this is your resolution and so that they can you know when you feel like you might backslide They'll give you shit about it. Like, whatever it is, like, all these things are good. Make it public.
1: Yeah, accumulate all the possible circumstances which will reinforce the right motives. Um, Yeah. That's one of the hardest parts, right? Because anybody can come up with a resolution. But to organize your environment and your circumstances strategically in order to make sure that this habit takes hold is the hard part.
0: Yeah, it's like what situationists would say, Yeah, uh, right, you know, right. like about how you want to get your situation so that you, the, and and the, the two things are the same. Don't trust your present will. That's the <laughs> right. thing you can't trust. You have to get everything organized so that you don't have to rely on your present will, that your present will is kind of forced to do the thing, at yep. least at first. Then he says the second one, I think this is so important. As somebody who has Tried to develop habits and failed, and then tried, failed, but then succeeded. Never suffer an exception to occur till the new habit is securely rooted in your life. Each lapse is like letting fall of a ball of string, which one is carefully winding up. A single slip undoes more than a great many turns will wind again. There's something both totally true but also depressing about this is that you can do everything right you know, for a certain period of time and then you make one lapse and that just undoes like so much of that progress.
1: So and- so in my life, this is the the story of exercise is in yeah. normal times, travel fucks it up. So Right. Right. right, like, right.
0: Exactly. It's so hard Push-ups for me to develop for me are like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: To develop good habits when um, you know, as an academic, your life is sort of filled with if your, if your career is going well, I suppose, is filled with travel that interrupts every single routine that you have. And yeah. I often would look down on my colleagues who would like, you know, they're like, oh, I can't, I'm working out this morning in the hotel gym right. or whatever. Like, Fuck you. <laughs> that little right. hotel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, we're having fun.
0: We're supposed to be having fun here. Yeah, <laughs> then I learning, started packing.
1: So. I just got like, uh you know, talking about situationism, just got really, really uh, light and slim running shoes, you know? And yeah kept those, kept a pair of those in my, in my suitcase. Um, and that, that worked for a while and, and still, yeah. <laughs> until we couldn't travel anymore. <laughs>
0: That's such a good example because yeah. I was the same way. Like so many good habits have been ruined by – meditation was like that actually. Yeah. Me- travel was bad for meditation, so it took a while for it to stuck – took me just being like I'm willing to like meditate in front of somebody else without feeling like embarrassed. <laughs> but, but like it's because of this insight that if you let it go, then all of a sudden it slips away. Yeah. And all the things that you've worked for – is is gone. Right. Um, the
1: asymmetry in in uh, yeah. the, the influence of one failure versus the influence of multiple successes.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah exactly. It's a cute and it's a big asymmetry. Yeah. This is how he puts it. Every gain on the wrong side undoes the effects of many conquests on the rights Mm -hmm. Uh, he says the third at maxim sees the very first possible opportunity to act on every resolution you make and on every emotional prompting you may experience in the direction of the habits you aspire to gain it is not in the moment of their forming but in the moment of their producing motor effects that resolves and aspirations communicate the new set to the brain so here he's actually making a kind of empirical claim which again I think somehow he just understands like the brain and and human nature it's 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 it's, uh, it's not totally clear how but um I think that's right I feel like I've read research about this that when your emotions and this is also very Aristotelian when your emotions are tuned correctly to what it is That you're trying to develop, that you start to, and that you actually recognize the pleasure that you're feeling when you perform this action. It's not just; it's something that you're actually aware of. Then that reinforces the habit.
1: Yeah. Um, Have you had the experience of you know? I know when I'm trying to. This is almost always with exercise. If I feel like exercising, I I go do it. Like if I can, right? Because like that that feeling
0: will go away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And then you, and then once you've made that connection in your brain between that feeling yeah. of, I want to do this and I'm doing it, it, um, it's good. And the same thing when you realize how good, I mean, going to the gym is like this reading for me is like this, like reading novels. It's like once I'm actually doing it, I, I always am I, so glad I'm doing that and not just on the web <laughs> right. looking at bullshit on Twitter. But, like, I need to take the moments to actually
1: appreciate
0: that, you know, and, like, uh, seize on those emotional things.
1: So there he's very clearly tying—this is a theme, if I recall, in The Principles, where um, the only thing that matters is doing. Right? Like, he—like, James places such an emphasis on, on thoughts that lead to action. Um, yes. Yeah. And this
0: is where it comes to what you were saying. So what he says is a tendency to act only becomes effectively ingrained in us in proportion to the uninterrupted frequency with which the actions actually occur and the brain grows to their use. Every time a resolve or a fine glow of feeling evaporates without bearing practical f- fruit, is worse than a chance loss. It works so as to positively, positively hinder future resolutions and emotions from taking the normal path of discharge because you didn't actually do the action, but you still uh, yeah. got the glow. There's, and then he says, there's no more contemptible type of human character than that of the nerveless sentimentalist and dreamer who spends his life in a weltering sea of sensibility and emotion, but who never does a manly concrete deed. <laughs> Rousseau inflaming all the mothers of France by his eloquence to follow nature and nurse their babies themselves while he sends his own children <laughs> to the foundling hospital is the classical example of what I mean. But every one of us, in his measure, whenever, after glowing for an abstractly formulated good, he practically ignores some actual case among the squalid other particulars of which the same good lurk's disguise treads straight on, on Rousseau's path. I mean, this is like... This is what we've been talking about, you know, in episodes, if we're talking about moral grandstanding or something like that, it is...
1: No, it absolutely reminded me of our discussion of porn, not porn necessarily a sexual kind, but just everything that we can call porn of some kind, like... Outrage porn. Outrage porn, power-washing porn. Um, It gives you the sense, the emotions associated with having satisfactorily uh, completed a task without having done anything. Uh, And I've been... I'm not a big I'm not a big reality TV watcher but I've been watching on Netflix this show called Grand Designs where people build these amazing houses. Mm-hmm. And in an hour you can get the feeling of planning of working hard and of succeeding. And you yeah. haven't done shit, right? Right. But it gives you that feeling and I think this is what what he's railing against is being a sentimentalist in a way that I wouldn't use the word but like just being somebody who who lets Let's those emotions like oh, it'd be good to exercise. Wa- let's that emotion wash over you.
0: Watches like a, a video of people, right. like you know, motivational video or something. Um, yeah,
1: that's what the done. montage is. The montage, yeah. <laughs> like <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> like it gives us that satisfaction. He went from nothing to being like an awesome fighter, you know, in like one song.
0: <laughs> and I think what's interesting about what he's saying here is, first of all, we're all sort, we're all tempted in this direction and that we really need to watch out for it. Like, we need to make sure that we don't get like these vicarious feelings of goodness when you actually didn't do shit. Right. Because that is the most contemptible kind of human character, he says. <laughs> right. And it's true. It's like, You know, the people who complain about whatever on Twitter without actually taking active steps that they could take to address the issue they're complaining about, this is what they're talking about. But we all do this at at every level of our life. I'd rather
1: not, I'd rather do neither, neither talk about it nor do it, (laughs) nor actually do
0: it. But like the idea that you should really be on guard for that because that's going to um, set you back in any kind of acquisition.
1: If you're trying to
0: uh, acquire a habit of exercise, you can't take vicarious pleasure in exercising without actually doing it, or you're fucked.
1: Right, right. Um, I like his casual xenophobia against uh, the— French Rousseau and also here where he says the weeping of a Russian lady over the fictitious personages in the play while her coachman is freezing to death on his seat outside is the sort of thing that everywhere happens on a less glaring scale even the habit of excessive indulgence in music for those who are neither performers themselves nor musically gifted enough to take it in a purely intellectual way has probably a relaxing effect upon the character. One becomes filled with emotions with, which habitually pass without prompting to any deed, and so the inertly sentimental condition is kept up. So yeah. I'm sympathetic to what he's saying, <laughs> the inertly sentimental, but, I mean, you and I do, you do nothing but, uh, in many cases, enjoy art for art's sake without yeah. feeling the need to, to be moved to do something.
0: Yes, right. No, I, I I took that very personally. That <laughs> little passage there, like because that's pretty much all I do, like watching movies and watching, you know, like is. And I know, like, I'm not going to become a filmmaker. I'm not going to be, you know. And I am trying to understand it and trying, but it's it's for. The sake of appreciation of that art form yeah that's a weird thing and i wonder why he says
1: even like uh so he, he his his he says the remedy would be never to suffer oneself to have an emotion at a concert without expressing it afterward in some active way let the expression be the least thing in the world speaking genially to one's aunt or giving up one seat in a horse car if nothing more heroic offers but let it not fail to take place he's like no you like those emotions are meant to motivate, so let them motivate, even if, you know, it's just petting a dog or whatever.
0: But what if it's like a, a, a bad emotion that it's arising, <laughs> right? Kill a Jew. Like, I feel like
1: killing a Jew. <laughs>
0: <I feel like laughs> right, exactly. Like you go to Wagner and be like, all right, well, I'll William James one. said I should I'll, act on the emotions.
1: <laughs> I'll, just ins- I'll just buy a Mercedes. <laughs>
0: Oh, well. Right, don't kill a Jew, but you do have to at least buy a Mercedes <laughs> or a, a BMW. Uh, um, I so here's the, this this last thing that he says. I think might be a maybe a little more open to question, but it also sounds like it could be right, and I think it's related to this. He says. The, these latter cases make us aware that it is not simply particular lines of discharge, but also general forms of discharge that seem to be grooved by a habit in the, gra- in the brain. And he says, uh, by analogy, what we were just talking about, if we let our emotions evaporate, they get into uh, a way of evaporating. So there's no reason to suppose that if we often flinch from making an effort, before we know it, the effort-making capacity will be gone in general what are you saying so it's not even like acquiring a specific habit i have it's-
1: exactly that like that note in my uh, it's the last thing i wrote in my notes that he seems to have a view that acquiring habit or like is a general ability right that, like if you practice it in domain a it will work in domain b and this is why he goes you know into saying like he has this one Passage where he says, every day you should do something that's like just a little inconvenient in order to like yes. keep that sharp, your will sharp enough to like for when you need it. Yeah, it's, it's ego, de- it's sort of like the ego depletion view, right? It's like one muscle that you're developing.
0: And, and yeah, he says, keep the faculty of effort alive in you by a little gratuitous exercise every day, uh, be like ascetic or heroic and little unnecessary points. Do, do every day or two something for no other reason that you would rather not do it. Um, and he calls this like insurance, like, yeah. you know, it may never do you any good, but it also could be the difference between disaster or salvation.
1: I find that, so. Um, when I first read this, uh, I, I mentioned that I, t- I took a class where we read both of these um, volumes. And it was from a philosopher named Carol Rovain, and it was her last semester teaching at Yale philosophy department. She was moving. She was super chill. And uh, when she came to this passage, I'll never forget her reaction. She was a very sort of uh, um, epicurean kind of a person. Yeah. She She read this out to the class, and she said, I couldn't disagree more. If I want to drink sherry and eat bonbons all day, I don't see what's wrong so wrong with that. <laughs> like, and, I, and I remember disagreeing with her. I remember thinking, no, th- it seems to be right that if you get used to a little bit of hardship that it will come in handy when some unrelated hardship emerges. Like I've felt that same way before. I think yeah. I've mentioned this where like when I'm having a hard time, I think back to like you know, basketball practice in college and and running these suicides in, in the gym and how terrible that was. And I somehow get grit from that memory. Yeah. Um, so, like, I want to believe, James. I don't know if it's empirically true or not, but...
0: it makes sense like you can let yourself get like lazy sort of just generally (laughs) and then it makes it harder like now all of a sudden you have this deadline and it's harder even than it would normally be to like uh get yourself off your ass to do it but it also sounds very puritan protestant kind of like don't like enjoy life like make sure you suffer enough so that you are going to heaven so that, <laughs> totally. you're, so that you've already been determined <laughs> totally to every,
1: every night <laughs> sort of like maybe whip your back with like a piece <laughs> exactly. of leather that has shredded glass on it <laughs> punishers
0: <yourself. laughs> but again it's, a, it's an interesting metaphor that he has it's like it's also very really the pragmatic and like it's yeah. the insurance which a man pays on his house in good the tax does him no good at the time and possibly may never bring him a return but if the house does burn down um that's it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I don't know like here's the, it almost conflicts with the situationism a little bit because um, it it seems like if you really if the shit goes down, you can snap into uh, a more, disciplined mentality because all the external circumstances and commitment devices are in place. And so, like, those things get activated again. Like, those parts of you that remember, oh, wait, I actually have to get this shit done. Fire back up. And so I don't know which is true. I do think, like... It, you get into ruts. If that's all he's talking about, you can get into a rut that isn't just about like exercise or working or reading or whatever. It's just a generalized rut. And probably that's, total, that's true to a large extent.
1: Yeah. I guess it's an empirical question. There's probably people who have studied this <laughs> a whole lot. Um, like a question would be be hard um, to study, though. Yeah, but like, um, imagine that—that uh, that here's one way to operationalize it: that if you, sh- like, develop one habit, like start from scratch, and you just like have the discipline to develop that one habit. Upon trying to acquire a second habit, will it be easier for you? Like, is this something that would okay. generalize at all, or is it dom- domain specific? Because you know, of course, I can Im- envision in my mind the person who's a strict disciplinarian, who's you know, like boot camp kind of people. Um, but for all I know, they have like horrible lapses in some other domain in their life, right? Um, um so I'm not sure if it generalizes.
0: And and here's the thing, it's like I, he's not even saying this though about like if you develop one habit, like you can develop another. He's saying like just take a cold shower one day. Cause mm. just because you don't want to, not because you're trying to develop the habit of taking yeah. a cold shower, but just because you like that would suck to all of a right. sudden so the- <laughs> not have hot water.
1: Uh. So but he's not saying because one day you might not have hot water, he's saying do things right. like every once in a while take a cold shower. Because one day you might have like a real bad um, itch and you won't be able to scratch it,
0: right? Or you might get really sick. Or your yeah, wife so that's might the get question.
1: Really sh- will will it have helped me in that?
0: Yeah. to have exactly. like taken a
1: cold shower, and I'm not sure. It seems <laughs> it's, it toughens it's, you up. I mean, it's sort
0: of yeah. stoicism too, a little yeah. bit. It's right. like toughen yourself up a little bit, or right. else that's right. That's it right. Will spread.
1: In- that's right. It might not spread as a physical skill. It might just be that what you're cultivating is an attitude toward things you don't like. Yeah, Like that you're a, able a, to do them. Yeah, an indifference toward doing things that you don't like or a, you know, a more positive attitude. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. we could just drink sherry and eat bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. I'm, I'm going to pour <laughs> myself some sherry right now,
0: grab some bonbons. Uh, that was actually my New Year's resolution for January was no bullshit candy. Sure yeah, I, mean, I was somebody that has like, <laughs> sorry, apologies to your professor from, <laughs> who taught you, the, <laughs> your Yale professor. I, yeah, I was just like, especially since I like to take an edible sometimes or. almost all the time unedible Uh, what (laughs) like uh and then you just want to eat like just the shittiest candy which is my taste like (laughs) gobstoppers or like blow pops or something like twizzlers like i'm like seven years old
1: those are all movie candies and i think that you should give yourself a pass because you're now teaching a course on cinema and philosophy so you have to eat Shit Except that I'll eat like two boxes of Gobstoppers. <laughs> no, you can't yeah. call them boxes. You have to call them things. Jo- <laughs> two things of Gobstoppers. <laughs> like
0: joylessly too. Like just kind of nervously and joylessly. I hate it when I
1: go and I buy a thing of Reese's Pieces and before the like before the previews are over, like I'm already
0: done. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then you start wrapping, you put it under your chair or something like that. <laughs> Trying
1: to do like pre-commitment <laughs> devices. Give it to my <laughs> daughter. Don't give me any until we're at least in the second act.
0: I, yeah, if, if I lived alone, like, I don't know what I would do. Like, you'd, be a mas- and I could, you'd
1: just be masturbating and
0: eating chocolate <laughs> all day like a monkey. Not, not even chocolate, though. That's the thing. It would be like nerds or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have the worst, just like the worst candy taste. So I just cut myself off from all of that for January, yeah. hoping that I won't want to go back but good. we're kind of 20 days in and I still feel like uh, but maybe that's like what James says do something because you don't want to do it you know keep
1: like, the faculty of effort alive Tamler. yes keep the faculty uh, of
0: effort. <laughs> no, If only that would have helped us I mean if there's any evidence that habits will keep you doing something that there's no good reason for you to do it's this podcast
1: that's right that's right that and our patrons <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: thank God for habits
1: We should do another chapter at some point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One on the will. I mean, this is, it's so brilliant. And I'd also like to talk to you about like his methodology for psychology, because it's like not something you could do right now. Like you're not getting tenure writing this kind of stuff now.
1: Yeah. Like I was just talking about this earlier, where like it's, you can't, who could write, you know, to even two, like it's long, it's two volumes, but it was all (laughs) of psychology. (laughs) <laughs> like I could write that. Like uh you, you there is no incentive uh to to do this.
0: Well you just wouldn't like it, it, there's no way to get tenure. No yeah. I saw that there was a paper I, I was talking to Farid um and he's very interested in introspection as a way of approaching psychology maybe mm. we should do an episode on that oh yeah but that's kind of what this is a little bit you know introspection plus just re- like quoting like eight pages from another text
1: yeah he he does it's interesting william james i don't think ever himself empirically investigated any of this stuff he actually right. like you know there's a lot of physiology in here he's he he talks a lot about you know like the, the electrical, like, signals that make frogs' legs move and stuff like that. Um, but he didn't do it himself. Uh, so it's this mix of quoting experts on something. But, like, in a way that he clearly knows what he's talking about. Um, yeah. And then quoting, like, <laughs> well, for all I can gather, are, like, pastors. <laughs> like <you know? laughs> Yeah. Uh,
0: pastors. And then just also just sort of examining his own experience yeah. um, and his sort of observations of other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it resonates really well. <laughs> like it's, yeah. you know, you're kind of like, sh- like
1: shitting on Rousseau for no reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, like who's not going to do that? He's not going to enjoy that. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, we'll do. I think the will would be a good one for for some other time. Yeah. All
0: right. Cool. All <laughs> right. We'll join us next time on very bad. more brains than you have. Pay no attention to that man. Anybody can have a brain. You're
1: a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard.